Hello, Matthew here. Thank you for downloading this episode of The Souvenir Shop. And just to let you know that it might help make more sense of what you're about to hear if you click on the Instagram link in the notes to the podcast. And now, on with the story. You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 24. The Invitation. Just over two decades ago, around the time of his death, it seemed as if half the newspaper columnists and commentators in Britain were writing about my brother John, musing over their friendship, or replaying their best John Diamond anecdote. The latter usually began with, One evening, John and I were propping up the bar of the Groucho Club when... Which means that the hacks in question were painting from a very limited palette. But you'll forgive me anyway if this is a subject I've approached with the trepidation and uncertainty of one having to compete with the professionals. So where do I begin? Out of curiosity, and to prove how technologically down I am with the kids, I asked ChatGPT to give me a thousand words on John. In amongst the random blather and awkward attempts at readable prose, it included this completely nonsensical gem. He later moved to the BBC, where he worked as a correspondent on the flagship current affairs programme Panorama. During this time at Panorama, Diamond covered a range of stories, including the miners' strike of 1984-85 and the aftermath of the Hillsborough disaster in 1989, Besides learning that it'll be some time before machines replace writers, I realised that this is something I'll need to do for myself however painful. Should I bite the bullet and begin with his darker side, or should I leave that for a later episode? Perhaps it would be better to start somewhere else, somewhere less familiar to past and present members of the Groucho. The invitation to my 18th birthday party was the talk of my friends. 45 years later, some of those friends still have it in a box or a scrapbook, occasionally dusting it off to show people an original piece of John Diamond artwork. An early trifle from a young man with an as-yet unspotted talent. We all thought he would make it as a cartoonist first, not a journalist. For years, taking in John's teens and early twenties, an ever-sillier cartoon greeting marked family birthdays, anniversaries or celebrations. For instance, just before turning 17, Two things happened to me. I received an offer from three universities to study drama, and I qualified as a scuba diver. My birthday greeting from John that year was a stand-up cartoon figure of me as Hamlet, holding Yorick's skull, dressed in a mask, snorkel and flippers, over the doublet and hose, all submerged in a jam jar filled with water. I can now see the influences in his work. There is a bit of Ralph Steadman there, plus a dash of Bill Tidy. But as John admitted at the time, his cartooning idol was Paul Sample. Unless you're into motorbikes, it's unlikely you will have heard of Sample or his cartoon alter ego, Ogri. For decades, Ogri was one of the main reasons people bought Bike Magazine. While some cartoonists, Thurber and Larry come to mind, created their worlds with the fewest possible strokes of the pen, Sample's work is all about the detail. Read an Ogri strip thoroughly 
and it's a lot to take in. Go back to the same strip later and you'll notice yet another dog pissing against the wall or the old bearded biker casually rolling a cig with one hand. I don't know what 18th birthday parties are like now because I don't get to hang out with any 18 year olds. Occasionally I see some or other reality TV show depicting brats with overindulgent parents hiring stretched limos and dressing up as either bejeweled Southside drug dealers or members of the Bullingdon Club. But I doubt whether these are the norm. My 18th followed the pattern of most parties then and probably now. It started slowly, descended into chaos and ended with three gate crashes in the kitchen opening the last Watney's Party 7 with a hammer and a screwdriver. Only the invitation set it apart. It's very much of its time, very 1977. This was the summer of punk, so naturally its followers were ripe for a good old piss take. It was also the era when Time Out duked it out with the NME weekly for the title of coolest magazine on the planet. There are references to Dorothy Parker and Picasso and Malcolm Muggeridge, all suffused with the tacky 1950s vibe which permeated that much maligned decade, regardless of who or what was in fashion. Looking at the invitation now, it's intriguing how prophetic some of the references are. In one frame, we see a copy of Time Out magazine with the headline, We Expose the Mothercare Ripoff, Man! And at the bottom, a fake quote by the philosopher A.J. Eyre. John, at the time teaching drama and English in a rough hackney comprehensive, had no idea that five years later he would be the consumer editor of Time Out. Nor did he imagine that a decade after that he would marry Eyre's stepdaughter. It's also scrappy. With crossings out and a few misspellings, note the birthday with an inserted A, bearing the hallmark of a piece of art dashed off in one go. And, like the best comedy, a lot of its content was there purely to amuse its author. I mean, come on, how many school kids in 1977 or since knew that André Simon was a wine expert? John was always a man of impulse, never too impoverished to spend a tenner between the front door and the bus stop. But he couldn't hide his obsessive streak once something or someone caught his fancy. In the early 1980s, he gave me a lift to Ilford, and during the ride, he casually asked me my opinion of his latest favourite, the singer-songwriter Tom Waits. I am not really a fan, I said. What do you mean you're not a fan? He's a genius. He's a bit too obvious for me, I said. It's too easy to see the workings behind his whole throaty barfly shtick. He pulled up and parked. Listen to this then, what's not to like? After three tracks I had my answer. Everything, absolutely everything. I ended up arriving half an hour late at my girlfriend's house because John insisted we sit in a lay-by on the North Circular Road listening to Waite's album Swordfish Trombone until, aware that time was getting on, I agreed with him. It was this obsessive side which propelled him after he switched to journalism. Via our Uncle Seymour, he got a junior researcher job on a subscription investment magazine, the kind you used to see in a newspaper small ad saying, I made a million on the property market and so can you. 
and he was off and running. Within a month or two, after exaggerating his extensive journalistic gravitas to various newspaper editors, he was a regular columnist on the Sunday Times. If he displayed the same amount of chutzpah in front when it came to his artwork, I'm certain we would have seen John's cartoons in print. He still occasionally penned them for family birthdays and special favours. Somewhere I have the Monopoly board he designed on his Apple Mac for Mum's 60th, which faithfully records every street she lived on, every place she worked, and the four London stations, Bethnal Green, Whitechapel, Himes Park and Debden, she used the most. The evening after John died, there was an informal gathering round at his house. We crowded round the TV to watch Newsnight, and some of his friends laughed as various media-talking heads duly trotted out their kind words, knowing that John's opinion of them certainly wasn't always reciprocated. Next to me, I overheard the head of BBC One discussing with the editor of The Times his legacy and how best to sum him up. For the first time on that terrible day, I felt a small spark of contentment. I don't need one, I thought. I already have my own legacy, on a single sheet of A4. Because it wasn't simply an invitation. It was a promise. That was The Invitation, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this, then why not hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time.